0: Okay, so we're in the Gospel of John, um, and we've been in Chapter 7, this is the third week, Um, Bertram and Dean um, have gone over it, and I've decided to call today's message, Nothing New Under the Sun. Right, I hope you don't mind if we pray again, or if I pray again. Um, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that truly that you would um, be heard today, Lord, and I pray, Lord God, that um, you help me, you help us um, to not only be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word, Lord God, and Lord, even hearing your word, Lord God, that can be difficult, Lord. So I pray, Lord God, that you do give us ears to hear, in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so, John... 37 37 to the end. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Version, so it might be a bit different from the ones that you're reading. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures said, from his innermost being. Will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, This certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, This is the Christ. Still others were saying, Surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, Why why did you not bring him? The officers answered, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The Pharisees then answered them, You have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers of the Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But this crowd, which does not know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to him before being one of them, said to them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? They answered him, You are not also from Galilee, are you? search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. Everyone went to his home. Okay, so, if we could turn quickly to Ecclesiastes 1, um, reading from... 5 to 10. So Ecclesiastes 1, 5 to 10. And it says, Also, the sun rises and the sun sets and hastens to its place. It rises there again, blowing towards the south, then turning towards the north. The wind continues swirling along and on its circular courses, the wind returns All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun." Is there anything of which one might say, see this, it is new. Already it has existed for ages, which were before us. Okay, so Jesus said that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. Um, and then he says that there's a one there's someone wiser than Solomon. And one of the things that we see throughout the book of John, in fact throughout all the Gospels, Jesus is often speaking to them on one level and they're hearing him on another level. Um, Jesus used everyday things and things from nature to teach them spiritual truths. Um, And we see that Solomon does a very similar thing throughout the book of Proverbs. And again, we see here, he's talking about the sun goes up and down. And it just keeps doing the same thing over and over again. He says, the wind blows and it circuits and it comes back again. It just keeps doing the same thing. The seas, the rivers are always running into the sea, and yet the sea, um, the sea is never the, the sea is never full. So it, is, it rains. The rain goes down the mountains, goes to the rivers goes into the sea, yet the sea is never full. And it links that to the ear and to the eye. So you can see the eye, just as the sea is never satisfied with the rivers running into it, the eye is never satisfied with the things that it sees. And the ear is never satisfied with the things that it hears. And that which has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. So just as the sun rises and it goes down in people's lives, you see it repeating, repeating, repeating. So he's teaching us that spiritual truth through using the things that everyone can see. Um, and we see that in John. Um, he's talking about food. He's always talking about food, talking about bread. Um, and at the start of it, I mean, it's very easy to, to, to read John and think to yourself, these people are a bit, bit bit silly, a bit naive. How can they keep missing these things? But... It's easy to be wise after the event. Um, and we do, they didn't have the benefit of um, John's commentary. So as we're reading through it, John's always giving us little background pieces of information to help us understand um, what he's saying. I mean, he starts off by saying, um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. So he's showing that the Word is God. And then in 14 he says, the Word became flesh so eat my flesh eat my teaching eat my words um okay so let's turn back to John 7:37 so John is unique amongst the gospels in that it's most of or oh, a lot of its focus is on the feasts all gospel all the gospels mention the passover but they only mention the last Passover. Um, John is unique in that he mentions the Passover three times. Um, and the purpose of John, in John 20, he says that it's to show that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, to show that he's the Son of God and that you might have life through believing in his name. So they're the three things that John is trying to get across in his message. And because it's it's unique in that it's, it, it, it focuses on the feast more than the other gospels. It would be probably more most likely to be aimed at a more Jewish audience. So I think one of the one of the things that is very helpful for us to understand the gospel of John is to understand about the feasts. Um, and most Christians, you say, you speak to them about the feast, they're like, well, you know, they're a shadow. Just in fact. I think it says in 2nd Colossians it says they're a mere shadow but I don't think when it says a mere shadow it's it's trying to take away from the importance of the, the feast but it's more it's trying to show you that you can't take away from the, import, the importance of who Jesus was um, so yes I, I mean we have spoke about the feast, the feast of booths the last couple of weeks um, I'm just going to just, just review it and go over it again um, before we just go into the Go into the text. So the Feast of the Booths or Tabernacles was the seventh and it was the final feasts given to Israel by the Lord through Moses. And it was the third of the pilgrim feasts that every male Jew had to um, attend and present himself to the Lord. Um, And as we know, it got its name from the fact that they would have to dwell in booths throughout the time of the feast. And that was to represent God's provision for them. When they were in the wilderness, um, where they would have had to live in similar conditions, so God saved them from Egypt, takes them into the wilderness, um, and then through his pro- He provides for them before they go into the Promised Land. And God, so this is for them to remember how how God's goodness was, um, and it was also known as the Feast of the Ingathering from Exodus twenty. 20- Twenty-three, where um, it was the last feast, so it was after everything, all the crops had been gathered. Um, so it was then. Not only was it to remind him of God's provision in the past, but it was also God's provision now. So it had like that double meaning. Um, now, I always would have assumed that the, um, the Passover was the most mentioned or the most the biggest feast. The, um, for the Jews. But in actual fact, this was their biggest and greatest feast. This was the most popular feast. Um, it was the most widely celebrated. It was also um, celebrated when Solomon dedicated the temple. Do you remember he dedicated the temple and had this great big celebration? It's when the Shekinah glory of God came down um, and filled the temple. When it filled the temple and it lit, um, it lit a fire on the altar in the holiest of holies, in the holy of holies. So it had quite a a huge significance to the people. Um, And it was also incidentally, when they came back from the exile, um, Nehemiah 8 says they celebrated the um, the feast of um, tabernacles after they read the law. So it's also got an emphasis on new beginnings. Um, Okay, so, so John 7... Is that helpful? Is that is that is that making sense? Am I making sense? Is it? Can you? For, okay. Amen. Amen. You know what? I'm I'm not the kind of person to say amen, but now I think I might be. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So John seven thirty seven. So now on the last day of the feast, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He that believes in me, as, scrip- as the scriptures said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. By this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this is the last day of the feast and this is like their, this is the biggest day in the Jewish calendar. This is like the day of all days. This is um, the, the the priests have um, this this ceremony which they perform every day where they go down to the pool of Salome or something. I can't remember what it's called. And they they take out water and then they take it to the the um, the altar and they pour it out on one of the side bowls on the altar. And it's a big procession and. It's a prayer, it's a visual prayer to God that God would send the rains because they've had the old crop, now they need the new crop. And then on the last day, instead of going around the altar one time, they will go around seven times. But there would be a big procession, it would be a huge celebration. And as they're doing this, Jesus is standing up. Now Jesus is already not in their good books, to put it mildly. And he's, take, he's always stealing their thunder. And they're making this big prayer, saying, "God, we need the rains, we need the the, the 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 that living water." And he stands up, and obviously, you can that ain't gonna go down too well. So um, he's showing them, "Look, it's me. It's me. It's pointing it. This is me. I'm the living water." Um, and then Paul. Um, John tells us as well that he's speaking of the spirit that those who would believe. So that's, that, would, that would be probably referring to Pentecost when God outpours his spirit. Um, so the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles is, what does that mean to the church? Well, that's a good question. Um, could we turn to 1 Corinthians 15, please? Sorry, 1 Corinthians 10. That's 1 Corinthians 10. Is every, everyone there? Yeah. Um, again, I'm reading from the New American Standard. So it says, for I, would not, for I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things, as they also craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally, as some of of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the age had come. Okay, so that's quite, a, that's quite heavy. It um, sounds quite harsh. But it was written for our instruction, so we need to pay attention, pay close attention. So it's interesting that the analogy that he draws upon is from them coming out of Egypt, they were baptised into Moses, um, and then they were in the wilderness, which represents the, the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, and, but he stops it prior to Joshua coming and taking them into the Promised Land which would then indicate for us that this world is not our home. Um, This world is a temporary dwelling place. Um, And the people made a mistake. They sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. They didn't realise the reason for them being in the wilderness. And I think we need to... Now, there's nothing wrong with eating and drinking. There's nothing wrong with playing. But we need to remember why we're here. Um, if you look at Exodus Exodus 5, where Moses approaches Pharaoh and says to him, let my people go so they can go into the wilderness and make a sacrifice unto the Lord. So Moses wanted to bring them out into the wilderness so that they can make a sacrifice to the Lord. But he also wanted to take them out into the wilderness to give them the law to give them the 10 commandments so they were in the wilderness so God could prepare them for going into the promised land so the wilderness is not the promised land but he's going to lead them into it but before he leads them into it he needs to get them right now we know from we know from even from the text a bit further on that they were waiting for a, a prophet like Moses. So Moses takes them out into the wilderness and gives them the law. Jesus takes us out of the world and into the, to the wilderness, so to speak, so that he can write his law on our hearts. Um, says in he, Hebrews 8, it says that he's going to make a new covenant with us, not regarding the first covenant that he made with the fathers when he led them out of the wilderness. And he didn't regard them because they didn't regard him. But he said there wasn't something wrong with the, the covenant, but there was something wrong with the people, so he had to change the people. Um, so God has taken us into the wilderness, so that or that's where we are now, so that he can write our, his laws on our heart. Um, it also says in Romans 12... Verse 1, that we are a living sacrifice. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. So, just as he took them out into the wilderness to make sacrifices to the Lord, now we are that living sacrifice in the wilderness. Does that, does that make sense? Is that... okay? Okay, so so verse 40. So some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. Others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. So again, as Jesus often does, he's dividing the crowd and he's done this throughout his ministry. Um, On the one hand, you've got the people that believe and on the other hand, you've got the people that don't believe. We see in um, verse 25, 26 and 27, this is um, what Dean preached on last week, that there were some people that believed, had disbelieved that the the Messiah was going to come out of nowhere and that was a misunderstanding of a scripture in Isaiah. And now we, so we have on the one hand, we've got a group of people that didn't believe him because they misunderstood the scriptures. But now we've got a group of people that understand the scriptures because it's true, he was going to come from Bethlehem. But for some reason, all the other things that Jesus was doing to fulfill the other scriptures, they were ignoring those based upon this one scripture. So Jesus fulfilling, is fulfilling all these scriptures around them. But because of their understanding of this scripture, rather than thinking, "Well, he's doing all these signs and all these wonders," that points to him being the Christ, they just ignored those and stuck with this one scripture. But the problem was, if they'd have investigated this scripture a bit more, they would have realized that they would have realized that they were mistaken and they didn't understand the scripture. So both of them had a misunderstanding of the scriptures. How long have I been? 30 minutes. minutes. (laughs) Wow. I can can finish now. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Okay, one of the things that's significant about chapter 7 is that in verse 8... The reason Jesus doesn't go up to the feast is because he says, my time hasn't fully come. And then when we look in chapter 20, chapter 30, the writer, John says, changes it and says, now his hour has not yet come. So as Bertram pointed out last week, this is when things start to really start to heat up. So when he's referring to his time or his season, when it's talking about his, his season or his time hasn't fully come, that's referring to him revealing himself to them. And then when it talks about his hour, now he's talking about the, the crucifixion. Um, so it's, he's, he's changing the emphasis and as it's getting closer to the end. Um, now, there's an interesting thing, because this is the first time he uses the, that phrase hour in the whole of the gospel, apart from the wedding. So the wedding is where he uses the, the the term hour. So for me, I think God or the Holy Spirit is is trying to show us something that that wedding somehow teaches us something about the crucifixion. Um, and because and not only that, it, it actually the first thing Jesus does is he he goes to the wedding. And then after the wedding, he goes to the temple, remember, with the temple, the Pharisees. Um, and it mentions the Passover. This is where it says the time of the Passover was near. So as I mentioned before, John is the only one that mentions the Passover outside of the last Passover. And the Passover, if, if, okay, if someone says to you Passover, what would you think of? What does it make you think of? Okay, so it would just make you think of, okay, if for the to the Jew, if you just said Passover, what do you think it would it would mean more than just Exodus? It would mean. It would mean. It would mean, Amen. Yeah, definitely. Um, it would also because if you if you look in the Gospels, you see the the, the feast of weeks not the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover, they're almost used interchangeably. So you had this first, that was the first of the pilgrim feast where you had, I think it was the 14th of Nisan, you had the Passover, which was one day. And then from the 15th for seven days, you would have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And in the middle of that, on the second day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you'd have the Feast of Fruits. So if you'd have said Passover to a Jew, they would have thought of all these things together, that whole kind of, yeah, that whole experience. Um, so the, 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 in Exodus, Exodus, I think it's 12, after he t- talks to them about the Passover, he said to them, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, what you must do on the, with the Feast of Unleavened Bread is for seven days eat no unleavened bread whatsoever. And on the first day... You need to go into your house and remove all the leaven from your house. Does anyone recognize that when I'm saying it, that tradition? And that is a tradition that they still do today. So for the seven days, there's no leaven in your bread. And we know that the leaven represents sin. So get all the sin out of your house. No sin in your house. Um, So that's what they would do on the first day. they They would, on the first day of the feast, they would go into the house and they would clean out all the leaven. So you've got and then you've got the first, so you've got the the, the, the the Passover, the Feast of unleavened bread, and you've got the first fruit so what was, what does, do you know what happens on the Feast of first fruits? Anyone uh, basically what would happen is that the, the priest would take the first of the fruits and he would ceremonially ceremonially at the sun, as the sun was rising, he would give it as an offer to God, saying, "This is thank you for this first fruit and we pray that the harvest would be bountiful. That's right at the start. So it's like, it's, that's the new life. Um, so you see, you've got these three events. So if you're a Jew, you're reading John 1, you go to John 2, you've got the wedding, and somehow this wedding is connected to the, to the, um, to the Passover. This wedding, yeah, this wedding is, is actually connected to the crucifixion. So, they're looking for a... Can anyone see where I'm going with this? <laughs> okay, should we, we, we go to John? Should we go to there? So you've got the miracle, John 1, 2. So he says, my hour has not yet come. So we've just, had, we've just had communion, right? And what did we do? We took the wine and the bread. This is the wine of the new covenant. Amen? So the wine represents a new covenant. So you see in here... The old, the, the old wines run out, so they've got to make new wine. You've got he, Jesus, so Jesus makes the new wine. That's the first miracle that Jesus does. He turns the water into the wine. What is the first What's the first of the ten plagues that Moses does? The first miracle. Turns the water into blood. So First Corinthians says that the law of the letter kills, but the law of the Spirit gives life. So you see Moses does the first miracle, turns the water into blood. Jesus turns the, the water into wine. Moses, they're all like, oh, can't drink, I'm going to die. He, Jesus does the opposite. But then we know in typology that Jesus is the bridegroom. And you see, when you read a bit further down, you see the head waiter, after tasting the wine, goes up to the, or it, in the margin, it might say steward. The steward goes up to the bridegroom and says to him, most people serve the good wine first, but you've served the bad wine first and served the good wine second. So the old covenant, which is which covenant is better? The old covenant or the new covenant? So you can see from the typology that this is talking about the new covenant. So the new covenant is based upon Jesus' death. So Jesus sheds his blood. The blood represents the wine. But then you look at Chapter 2, now at the Passover, their tradition would be to what? To be cleaning out their houses. So as they're cleaning out their houses, now remember the purpose of the gospel was to demonstrate that Jesus is the Son of God. And in the Jewish mindset, if you're the Son of God, you're equal to God. That's why they wanted to stone him. There's, There's no difference. So they're in their houses cleaning out the leaven from their house. Jesus goes into his father's house, and cleanses out the leaven from his house. Do you see the? So, if you're a Jew, a Jew, a Jew, you'd be reading that, and it would just. Well, I would assume that it would be. It would be coming to life. But then, not only that, the next thing that Jesus does, he talks to Nicodemus. He talks to Nicodemus, and what does he talk to him about? Being born again, amen. So you can see, um, again. The feast of the first fruits, they'd be holding up the first fruits saying, Amen. Amen. Okay. Okay, so now let's go to what did I say before? Okay, you know what? Let's not go to Luke 19. I think I'm <laughs> maybe next time. Okay. Okay, so the officers then. Sorry, from verse forty-five, the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers an- the officers answered, Never has a man spoken this way, the way this man speaks. The Pharisees then answered them, You have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers of the Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But this crowd, which does not know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to him before, being one of them, said to them, Our Lord does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? They answered him, You are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. Everyone went to his home. Okay, so so the officers and the chief priests want to know why the officers didn't arrest him and obviously they're just as I suppose when Jesus first went into the temple they were astonished at his teachings I guess they were the same they were probably thinking you know what if this guy if this guy is who he says he is then the last he's the last person that we want to try and arrest I guess in it so you can understand him not arresting him and then the Pharisees Accused them of being led astray, and their argument is that none of the Pharisees have been deceived by him, and the people who follow him are cursed because they don't know the law, which is a kind of a strange thing to say because they've been given a responsibility to teach the people the law, it's their responsibility. So when you give account on judgment day, I don't f- do you know what I'm saying? It's like, hello, anyway. Um, yeah, and, and and we know that that's not even true because there were people that believed in him, but they were just too scared to speak out. And that reminds me, the, what's the, what, what does the phrase they say? The only thing for evil to try and is for good for evil men to try for good men to do nothing. Seems to be the case. Um, so this is the second time Nicodemus, and I think this is a, Nicodemus is an interesting character because. I don't know what to make of him, because a lot of people seem to speak highly of him and say, look, he was defending Jesus. But then I think to myself, well, why don't you stand up and just say, you know what I mean? I believe he's the Messiah. Why don't you make a stand? But he, don't, he didn't do that anyway. So, um, And I guess it was because he was scared to be thrown out of the synagogue, which was, seems to be the biggest reason for most of people people um, being shy about it. Um, And the last thing he says is that um, the last thing they say, the Pharisees say is um, Jesus is from Galilee and no prophet comes from Galilee which again is another example of them misunderstanding the scriptures because as we know um, Jonah came from Galilee, didn't he? Um, And I think it's interesting that they didn't recognise the fact that um, Jonah came from Galilee. I mean, this is one of my pet, kind of, not pet hates, but I remember years ago there was a a series called Testament and they had about 10 different stories of Old Testament, from the Old Testament, and um, they were kind of animated and some of them were like Wallace and Gromit. Does does anyone know what I'm talking about, Testament? No? You remember? They were on BBC2 years and years ago. And they had one called Jonah, but its title was Jonah the Moaner. <laughs> and it seems quite apt. And the first scene you saw of him was like he was like, he was like walking along moaning and cussing and fussing, and he was like, looked really like a really grumpy old man. And um, I watched that, and I think that actually, that when every time I read the book of Jonah from that, I was reading it through the eyes of this this program, and I think it really influenced that person's impression, really influenced my understanding. And I think a lot of people, when you hear them talk about Jonah, they always talk about Jonah in a very disparaging or negative light. When, when I think, and it's interesting, this chapter 7, what did he say? Jesus said... Um, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And I think the same mistake they had, they make. They probably, obviously, didn't. Rec- they probably didn't pay much attention to Jonah. So, and I think they probably misunderstood Jonah as well, which is why they missed the fact that Jonah came from Galilee. And I think today's society, I think we have probably made the same mistake. I don't know. That's just that's my opinion. But I think I think the lesson that I learned from that that situation was that. Be careful of biblical movies, biblical anything that's not from straight from here. Do you know what I'm saying? Because anything that we... And I'm not saying don't watch them, but it made me not want to watch any biblical stories and stuff just simply because I didn't feel that I knew the scriptures well enough to be able to combat any falseness that was coming through it. Um, Yeah, so... Okay, that's... I guess that's, that's me done. I don't know how to finish this. <laughs> amen. Thank you. Okay, Father, Lord, thank you. Um, thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord God. Thank you that, um, you know, we live to fight another day, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that you just help us to fight the good fight of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.